Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. If you need the news, but also need to feel smarter and calmer, then you need to get in Andy Slavitt's bubble. Andy is a former White House advisor and the ultimate outsider's insider. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, Andy offers his access to leading experts. I didn't know that I qualified as a leading expert the two times I've been on this podcast, but I am very excited to find out. It is a great show. Andy is a great guy. Join Andy for discussions on COVID, gun violence, climate change, and more. In the Bubble with Andy Slavitt is available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Ravi Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast for meaningful conversations that change minds, change votes, and win elections. Ravi, how you doing? I'm having a fantastic week. I, I've been sitting on this project where I was contracted to write a script. And I can't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say too much about it. But it's like it was like some book that somebody had the rights to, and they hired me to write the script. And it's a really challenging book. It's like it's originally in German. <laughs> I don't know German, so it's translation and all extra, this. extra challenging. But for reasons I won't go into, is a very challenging story to write, and it's been hanging over me for the past few months. And the deadline was this past Sunday, and so I just has been heads down outside of work, just writing this thing, and I have never been more productive in my life. I literally was sitting this weekend, I would sit down and like eight hours would pass. Oh my god! And I would be still seated writing this thing. And the minute I handed it in, I felt like I've never taken heroin, but I feel like it must be what like that feels like. It was really like a Sunday night and there's like nobody around, obviously. So like I hand this thing in and I'm like, yeah, party time. And it's like crickets. It was like this <laughs> huge letdown. But all week I've had this extra pep in my step because I'm just like, damn, I don't have this thing hanging over me anymore. So that's basically my big news. Well, that's awesome. I had a similar feeling of enormous relief. Uh, people who listen to the show know that I've been very involved in the Afghan evacuation efforts. I started this thing called Afghan Rescue Project. We have gotten now about 2,000 people out of the country. But what people may or may not be aware is that the very first operation we did to evacuate people out of Afghanistan, we had to put them in Albania uh, to await processing to come to the United States. And then it turned out that the U.S. government changed its policy and it's really been up in the air as to whether those people were going to have the opportunity to actually come to the United States or whether they were going to get stranded in Albania. So we've been working very hard to try and convince the United States government uh, to do the right thing by these people. And this week, we found out that uh, they will, that over the next few months, all of these people are coming here. Most of them are coming to St. Louis, which has a fantastic resettlement program. And it is an enormous relief for me because these are actually the people I got into it to help in the first place. So it's it's awesome. That's incredible. Yeah, it's awesome that we've been able to help a couple thousand people. But like, you know, it felt really bittersweet when I thought, 
we were going to have the people we got into it to help in the first place uh, kind of stranded in a in another nation um, where they didn't speak the language and couldn't necessarily get jobs or anything like that. So it's huge. I know that we've been playing around with the idea of doing a live show in St. Louis. I think like at some point, if we ever wind up doing that, I wonder if there's anything we can do with them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the whole story behind it, you know, is that in order to get them out of the country in September of last year, we held a, a four day fake wedding in Masri Sharif to throw off oh the Taliban. Yeah, and so what we've been, and so this group is now referred to as the wedding party. And uh, they're kind of like, you know, if you're an Avengers fan there, I, I refer to them as being like Asgard, like it's a people, not a place. Now they're just like a, a community that's on the move together. And so we've been kind of kicking around the idea of once we get them all to St. Louis, like having another wedding. Wait, can we write, have you sold the rights to this? Why don't we write, I'm actually seeing CIA next week. Like what, should we do this movie? There are a couple of people who have contacted me and are like working on treatments because it is oh, okay. nuts. Uh, no, it sounds like a great movie and actually equally as challenging. I, well, I don't know what I'm doing. This is like my addiction. I'm like, all right, let's go to the next insanely difficult foreign story. <laughs> yeah. All right, maybe I'll sit this one out. Sounds like a great movie though. All right. With that, shall we talk some trash? All right. I have a question for you. Yeah. What is a crudite? 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 I... I came here ready to ask you that question. All right. Will you start to explain what this what happened and I will Google it. I I, I explain what happened. I so I don't know what this is really, but there's this Dr. Oz campaign video. I guess this campaign put it out where he's walking around a grocery store picking up random vegetables, I think as a way to just make some kind of statement about inflation. And it's just a strange video for reasons that will become apparent if you have not seen or heard it yet. Let's roll the clip. I thought I'd do some grocery shopping. I'm at Wegner's and I, my wife wants some vegetables for crudite, right? So here's a broccoli. That's two bucks, not a ton of broccoli there. Here's some asparagus. That's $4. Yep. Carrots. That's four more dollars. That's $10 of vegetables there. And then we need some guacamole. That's $4 more. And she loves salsa. Yeah, there's salsa there. Six dollars must be a shortage of salsa. Guys, that's twenty dollars for crudite, and this doesn't include the tequila. I mean, that's outrageous. And we got Joe Biden to thank for this. Twenty dollars, Jason, for crudite. That sounds like either a really tough bargain or really cheap, depending on what crudite actually is. Why don't you why don't you drop some knowledge on us? Okay, according to Wikipedia. Crudite, which is not spelled at all how I thought it was spelled, uh, is they're French appetizers consisting of sliced or whole raw vegetables typically dipped in a dipping sauce. I don't know how things are on Staten Island. Where I'm from, in Kansas City, this is called a veggie plate. Yeah. Same. Right? Yeah. I mean, we don't really eat vegetables that aren't like <laughs> eggplants that are fried with mozzarella on them. But this is the big thing. I mean, he he stuck it to Fetterman and Biden. Like, people's crudite expenses, I guess, are going through the roof. <laughs> this is a winning issue. Well, okay, let's break down this video a little. First of all, Tommy Vitor uh, had a great tweet where he, he talked about what Dr. Oz is wearing in this video. He's got on what appear to be either suit pants or very nice slacks, and then, like, a long-sleeve colorless shirt with a half button down right so it's like a henley it button it's got like four buttons on the front from the collar 
And so it's, it, I guess it's like a casual shirt, but then he's wearing like suit pants. And so Tommy said, apparently when they tell Dr. Oz business casual, he thinks that's half and half, right? <laughs> and it's like a mullet. So he just looks ridiculous, right? And then second, his whole intonation here is like, like the level of outrage about the cost of these vegetables does not matter. Like, it just doesn't work, man. Like, we know you're super rich. Like, By the way, he doesn't sound very outraged. No. He's, he's kind of like, it's almost like like a food network. Like, oh, I'm going to pick this up. He doesn't feel That's right. like any outrage whatsoever. He's just moseying on through. By the, actually, halfway through the video, I felt like halfway through watching Nope, this new uh, Jordan Peele movie, where I, I turned uh, to my friend and we were like, what is this about? That's what I was thinking, like, watching this campaign video. I'm like, is this actually a campaign video or is this like another like Oprah-style video where he's just saying what, how to eat healthy, you know? Well, here's what I love about it is he's walking along. He starts out with, okay, I'm here to buy some groceries, right? And, like, he has no basket. He has no cart. He's just picking stuff up. And by the end of the video, you can tell like stuff's about to pour out of his arms. He's just like trying to cradle a a giant thing of carrots, uh, one head of broccoli that's like a super small head of broccoli. And then like what? Some asparagus, like random stuff. He's clearly just like, I'll grab some of this, some of this. But he he's not grocery shopping. If you're grocery shopping, he'd have a basket. He's no. like going to carry all this. And then and then it ends with him being like, uh, this doesn't even include the tequila, which is this something about crudite, which, by the way, is apparently a French appetizer that I don't understand does it always go with tequila or is that way his way of sounding like like a real dude like i honestly there are a lot of moments where i look at you know i live in new york where you get to see people who are really wealthy just in regular life because we're all on top of each other and there are often moments where i see people's expensive tastes and i thank god every day i grew up in staten island and that i don't have these like weird hang-ups that people have when he said crudite my first reaction was i am so proud that I don't know what the hell this is. Like, that was my first, like, I never want to be, now he's forced us to be the people who know what it is. I never want to be the guy who knows what that is. You know, Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. I'm so glad I don't know. I'm sure there are a lot of people pretending like they don't know. Like, I swear I come by this, honestly. Like, I just don't know what it is. I have heard the word crudite before. I never have been like, I wonder. And apparently I've eaten crudite on many occasions. I just thought I was eating vegetables. Anyway, I just love that he's like, let's make a blue collar video about grocery shopping where I demonstrate that I've never gone grocery shopping and where I use words that normal people don't use. And then I end the thing by acting like now I'm going to go to the hard liquor section of the store and buy tequila. And many people pointed out that at the beginning of the video, he mispronounced the name of the grocery store he was in. Was it Wegmans? Is that what he was trying to say? What a disgrace, by the way, because Wegmans is one of the great American institutions. Shout out to Western New York. Well, then he then he pretends that he's going to go to the hard liquor section and buy tequila. And people are like, you can't buy that in a grocery store in Pennsylvania. (laughs) Yeah. The tequila thing is its own thing. And if this were a culinary episode, I'd have lots of questions. But just to put this in perspective, a GOP firm, Opinion Strategies, did a poll Pennsylvania recently. I sent this to you last night. They have Fetterman up 18 points in Pennsylvania and Shapiro, governor, up 15. Now, We've been around long enough, you know. I've I've been to enough Bills Chiefs games to know that even <laughs> when you think you got it, sometimes you don't. <laughs> yeah. But but this 
is looking pretty solid for our guy. Uh, I'm actually heading down in two weeks to Lehigh County. If any of you listeners are there, let me know. I'm going to be at the Lehigh County Fair in two weeks. I'm going to try to collect some content for this and for Lost Debate. Just meet some of them old swing voters and hear what they're saying. I suspect they will have a lot to say about Oz. I, I do want to put a button on how this whole thing ended, because as the Fetterman campaign continues to just completely own the Oz campaign, uh, they created a sticker that says Wegners instead of Wegmans or whatever oh it is. God. And then it says, it's got a little ribbon on it. And the, the motto for the story is, let them eat crudite. Grace <laughs> so shared good. this with us. You missed it. And they, they claim they've, in the last 24 hours, they've sold 5,000 crudite stickers. <laughs> I'm gonna go, I'm gonna buy some. Yeah, I mean it sounds like it sounds like a great. I'm like a I'm not a collector of things, but my mom collects campaign stuff, so I'm gonna get her that. I go. feel like she'll understand. I'll have to explain it to her because I don't think she she'll get that either for the same reasons that I don't. But there's also some other news that's interesting here. The NRSC has cut their ad spending by 13.5 million dollars in Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, and I think Wisconsin. Now, they're still outspending the Dems, so I don't want to go crazy here, but that's a good sign. It's kind of an unprecedented cut. I think one of the dynamics is our individual candidates are raising a lot, but our committee is not. I don't know why that's the case. Obviously, if I could pick one or the other, I'll take our candidates getting the money. So that's pretty good news. I have Okay, so I think it is very good news. Here is my put a slight damper on things like, you know, pump the brakes. It, It could be just regular strategy, which is, you know, there's this whole game at this level where you have to signal things. Like if you want, you know, a super PAC to do a certain thing or spend a certain thing, there's all this coded language to stay within the law. But there's also, it could just be a matter of they look at some of these states and they know that they've got these, you know, Peter Thiel type figures that will drop tons of money in. And it could be them sort of trying to like jockey for position as to who's going to have to spend the money. So it could be like, hey, we're pulling out with sort of a a game of chicken of trying to get other parts of their coalition to go ahead and and pony up large dollars to spend that money. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, we'll keep an eye on all this and I'll renew my uh, request of our listeners is you could shoot me a message uh, on DM uh, on Instagram or Twitter, if you've got good places to go between now and the election to just check out like swing districts, interesting people to meet, et cetera. Just try to get some color on what's happening around the country. Ravi, as you know, True is starting school again, which means everything in this house starts an hour earlier. So that's an hour of sleep that Diana and I have been getting all summer but we will not be getting for the next several months. And so that the quality of sleep versus the quantity, quality is clutch in that situation. And thank goodness for my Helix mattress. Yeah, I mean, what I love about Helix is this quiz that you take, right? Like, it's not just any mattress. You get a mattress that works best for you and your body. And you take this quiz in under two minutes and you get a personalized mattress and it ships straight to your door free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your home. And so you get a hundred nights risk-free trial. So you start now. And if you don't like it, you got plenty of time to send it back, but you're going to love it. So they're offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. So go to helixsleep.com slash majority 54. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, Jason, I love my wine. But I'm two weeks into being dry, in part because of this fitness group that we have in, but also just because it's a good thing to do. 
But I'm like so used to this tactile experience at night of like drinking a glass of wine. So now what I've done is so stupid and silly, but I mix my athletic greens and then I pour it into a wine glass. Uh, and I drink it <laughs> at night now instead of the morning. I look ridiculous because it, it doesn't look like wine in any possible way, but I put it in the glass and, you know, it's a great thing to end the day on. Now Now I associate sort of calming down in the way I would with like drinking wine at the end of the day, getting a little work done, reading a little bit. Now I now I just, uh, you know, cuddle up to the fire with my AG1 and my wine glass. You know, I think I'm going to try this. Um, and what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to pair it with a nice crudite. And, <laughs> and then, then really we're going to be set. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash majority. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash majority to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. One of the, you know, one of the things that defines elections in our politics are these big unexpected moments. I think this Trump raid has been one of those big unexpected moments. So in our news of the week, obviously, we're going to start with, you know, a topic we touched on last week, which is this raid of Mar-a-Lago. After our episode, the big news was this Garland press conference. I think everybody was kind of just rushing to their TVs to be like, all right, what is this guy going to say? And Garland gets up there and basically says, all right, balls in your court, Trump. I will release the warrant and the inventory of the property that we seized in Mar-a-Lago if you don't oppose us. And it was really smart because it essentially said, all right, now it's on you. Uh, There was a couple other things he said in this press conference that we'll get into, but let's just start there. There were, you know, numerous classified documents all the way up, I think past top secret SCI from what I understand. I'm not exactly sure what's in there, but what significance did you make of this press conference? And did you think he handled it well, Garland? I mean, I I think so. I think, look, one of the problems we have had on the left ever since Trump came on the scene is that we accept certain norms and they don't. And it, and it, it really puts us at a disadvantage, right? And then they play on that. They play on the idea that we're going to say whatever we want. We're going to keep hammering at certain things, knowing that the adults are not going to stoop to our level. And Garland didn't stoop to his level here. He just was like, look, I'm not going to let you go out and say a bunch of stuff that's not true. I'm just going to put this out there, right? Yep. Like, I, we'll just go ahead and demonstrate that what you're saying is not true and and really call them on it. Yeah, There was like so much seized and over time we'll find out what exactly was taken. The after the, or we may not, but I think it'll, if there's any criminal charges filed here, that's when I think we really learn what's going on here. And I think the question is, there's like a step one, which is he's just in possession of classified material, which in and of itself is a crime and concealing it. And it comes out that there was a subpoena for these. So they didn't comply with the subpoena. Any normal person is getting arrested for that. The thing that is really fascinating is that there was an affidavit that you file with the federal judge that essentially says, here's why in great detail we need this warrant. And that has not been released. Republicans are trying to get this thing released. I'm not sure it's going to help them, but Garland and the Department of Justice are posing release and they're saying the affidavit has information in it that would compromise the cooperation of witnesses. Now that's fascinating. Which is probably why they want it released. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, they want to intimidate witnesses, et cetera. Now, 
And they also want to attack the credibility of witnesses is what they really love to do. Let's make sure listeners understand what the purpose of an affidavit like this is. It is to establish probable cause, right? Mm. Yep. We're just a couple of guys who don't practice law who went to law school, but correct me if I'm wrong here, that, that it is in order to execute a search of this nature, you have to demonstrate that there is probable cause of a crime in order to say that uh, we have to go in and we have to find this evidence. And you have to be very specific. You know, this was, I don't know if you remember from law school, this was the uh, the bread box, I think it was example, or the shoe box example, mm-hmm. that you have to be able to say what it is, where it would fit. You have to be very specific about what you're looking for. The idea being that they don't want you to go in and just be like, we have a search warrant, so we will be able to look for everything, right? So, right. so that if you have you know, if, if what they're looking for is like, they think you stole a skateboard and they're looking for a skateboard, they don't get to go through your jewelry drawer and find some, some jewels that you stole because a skateboard wouldn't fit in there. Like that was the kind of fact pattern they would use. But in that case, if in the, you know, like a reasonable place to search for, which would be outlined in affidavit, like, let's say they say we want to search the garage, which would make sense based on what you're looking for. Now, if in your garage you have, you know, a bazooka, then that now becomes something you're legally responsible for and could be charged for. But if they found your bazooka in your, you know, your closet or something, maybe that isn't, if then it wasn't an affidavit, that's wrong, right? So they want to say like where you're searching, what you're looking for makes sense. And then that evidence could be suppressed by the defense, right? So so that's what we're talking about. And so I can totally see where in order to establish with the judge that there was, you know, whatever the legal standard, we're doing this like live to tape. So I'm probably yep. disappointing several law professors yeah, at Georgetown Law. Yeah, tell me a case law counselor that you're, yeah. you're citing. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. But you got you got to yeah. demonstrate there's a legal standard. And, and in doing that, you have to make a persuasive case. And I can totally see where that would include affidavits that are attached that are sworn testimony of actual witnesses, right? right? Of people who were to maintain these records at the White House when Trump was there, things like that. Yeah. And I, I think like, so we'll find out maybe uh, that this is in front of a judge now. The judge is going to decide whether to release this affidavit or not. They could also release a redacted version of it, I guess. There's just not a lot of precedence for this. Like they don't really release these things usually. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think like if, if the Department of Justice says this will compromise people's cooperation, I, I take them seriously there. Let me ask you this. Have you already put, now maybe you were too busy uh, pumping out this script. Have you already played the game with your friends that we've played with ours um, where we try and figure out- The question wh- is, the answer is going to be no, because I haven't seen a friend since <laughs> okay. I, for weeks because well, of this script, but yeah. right, We can do it here live. My imaginary is- friends, like my like my <laughs> beautiful mind style, like invisible friend in my apartment that I was speaking to all weekend, he and I probably had this conversation. Okay. Well, we're going to find out how he and, and you weighed in on this, which is- the question of if there are, as it is rumored to be the case, things having to do with nuclear weapons in these items, what is the purpose for which Trump took these? Okay. Oh, yeah. That, that you, this is a good reminder because that's the other thing I was going to say, which is there's just straight up, you have these documents. And then there's, I have these documents and I'm doing really shady stuff with these documents. Now, that's interesting. And I am starting to think that that's what's going on here because of the cooperation sort of tea leaves that we're seeing here. And Trump is so wild that you could see, there's like the document on the French president. Like, so there's like, there's a couple of things that could be going on here. One is he's got documents relating to intelligence about foreign leaders and he's trying to like blackmail people for favorable treatment in one thing or the other, including like sometimes business leaders. Like the US government does have intel on certain 
figures and like sometimes like Saudis, for example, the business leaders and the government leaders are the same. So you could imagine, I'm just creating this as a hypothetical. No, this no is a good, this this is is a good right. theory. But like, let's say you have like dirt on the crown prince of Saudi Arabia that the US has, which I'm sure we have so much. And he's holding on to that and telling people he's going to leverage it to get a favorable deal on on something, or he maybe he already has started to use that, right? These are the things that will get him in big, big trouble. And to me, like there are a lot of people who are like, ah, if he just got the documents, then he gives them back. We got to move on because of the politicized nature of that. I actually think this is a really interesting debate. I don't think it's interesting if he's leveraging these documents to commit other crimes. Okay. That's theory number one. Theory number two is just a straight up, why would anybody take like the the standard garden variety, why anybody would take classified documents, particularly of a nuclear nature, right. they're very valuable. You can sell them yeah. for a lot of money, and he's a guy who needs money, right? Sell them, or I'll play a little devil advocate in the sense that you know Bill Meyer on Friday said he was like, "This is just Trump, like in his ego, being like, okay. I need to." That's like a that's more persuasive to me because selling nuclear. I mean, even I would hope. I mean, you never know. There's no limit to his insanity. Selling nuclear secrets is like execution level stuff. Mm -hmm. Like what, uh, as much as I hate Trump, I actually hope that's not true. Like I really do. Well, of course like, we hope it's not uh, true. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah, like we live yeah. in this country. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that's, but you, so what you just brought up is theory number three, which is the vanity theory, right? Right. That he just wants to, he just, for the same reason that he has a framed picture of himself and Kim Jong-un up on the wall, he just wants to turn to people and be like, hey, check this out. Isn't this cool? Like, that's a, a fine theory. Of course, it could be all of these. Here's a, a new theory that that has not been posited by anybody except a, a friend of mine at dinner the other night, who I do think listens to this show. I'm not going to name because he is somebody who everybody knows, and he's not mixed up in all this these days. So, but um, he had an interesting theory, which is he said that there were possibly two parts of this that perhaps Trump took these things thinking he might need them for this purpose, either the blackmail side or the financial side, right? That he's like thinking, you know, if I get in a pinch, I can sell this, right? Uh, I can take this down to the local pawn shop and boom, we're good to go. Uh, that could be it. But he made a good point, which is there's been this, and we're going to get to this in a second, this whole thing about, well, you know, he could have just declassified anything because he was president. So my friend was making the point, this is something that the president wanted to take with him and specifically made a decision not to declassify because either it was too high level, he couldn't get away with it, or the other idea is because it was embarrassing to him, mm. because it was problematic oh, yeah. to him. Oh, yeah, it's like theory four. Yeah, yep. Theory so four. my friend's theory is, is that what is actually in there, because Trump's been down this road before, is a transcript of a, of a phone call with a foreign leader, and one that we, yeah. that we are yet unaware of. I mean, the possibilities are endless. This is a fun right? game. It this is a, a fun, fun game. game. In what way has the president committed treason against the country? Let's talk a little bit about this reaction from the right on the FBI. Republican Arizona Representative Paul Gosar tweeting that he will support a complete dismantling and elimination of the FBI, an agency headed by a Trump appointee, Christopher Wray. Well, this is what happens in places like Nicaragua. Or last year, every single person that ran against Daniel Ortega for president, every single person that put their name on the ballot was arrested and is still in jail. We've never seen that before in America. So I think every Republican believes that the FBI, when it comes to Trump and other organizations, have lost their mind. Now, there's no end to the amount of 
un-American behavior we're seeing from the right and any lack of even attempt to be consistent. But I'll just, I'll highlight a few things here. One is there's a certain inconsistency around the way that the right handled it, defund the police arguments and how they're handling defund the FBI, which is the mega police that we have right now. So you have these figures on the right. Here's Marjorie Taylor Greene, June 2021. Crime is exploding in Democrat-run cities. This is 100% a result of their left-wing policies of defunding the police, backing BLM, Antifa, destroying families, and coddling criminals. Here's Marjorie Taylor Greene in August 2022. Defund the FBI. Uh, <laughs> and you can get similar quotes from Representative Jeff Duncan, Eric Erickson, Candace Owens, Matt Schlatt, Lauren Boebert. Paul Gosar, Dinesh D'Souza, Terrence Williams, Liz Wheeler, all the way down the list. And then you got people like Marco Rubio saying this is some kind of major overstep uh, of the FBI. Meanwhile, he was cheering on and instigating the Clinton email stuff, which obviously didn't involve top secret SCI documents and nothing of the nature here. Uh, and there were subpoenas for those emails. They were turned over. There was even a green light to even go back over Anthony Weiner's laptop, which we all know about, right? Well, and let's add that in that case, those those documents, those emails, there wasn't proof that they had like failed to secure things. All, what happened is is that they basically the argument was they didn't uh, abide by every protocol that they were supposed to go by. But it wasn't like, hey, you took classified things that you're not supposed to have. Like it's a completely different situation. Yeah, at most, from what I understand. In that situation, this is this is the unsecured email. Like so, basically, background. You probably had this experience. I had two hard drives in my computer when I worked in the federal government. Cipernet, mm-hmm. Nippernet, and then JWix. Yeah, there's actually three. You're right. right. There's there's the unclassified. There's classified, which includes secret and classified, and then there's top secret. You have to go to a whole different room yep. to find low, that stuff. Low side and high side. They call. There it. you go. And so hers was the unclassified side. Now there's a couple things that get in there that say C on it, but like it was determined that none of the stuff is explosive stuff. That like anything even approaching anything we're talking about with Trump. So even if it had been stored in her house or something, which would have been inappropriate and wrong, this is like totally apples and oranges situation. And all those people I just mentioned think she should have gone to prison for that, including Donald Trump. He signed into law in 2018. He strengthened the very law that we're applying to him in this situation. I mean, that's huge. Super significant. Yeah. And and to underline your point, like even if you were to say these two things are the same, they're not. The reason that they had to go and search his place is because they said, please give us those back. And he didn't. And in her case, they were like, hey, we need those back. And they were like, here you go. Here's everything. And he didn't do that. And had she not done that, maybe the FBI would have gone in there. And so here, this is going to seem like a tedious exercise, but let me do something I thought I would never have to do, which is defend the FBI. Now, the... FBI is our federal law enforcement agency. Now, of course, they've had a troubled history going back to J. Edgar Hoover, where they're just unencumbered. And But like, if we're being honest, most things in our country were super screwy back then. So there's all these people, including left-wing people like Cristobal at Breaking Points and, you know, Glenn Greenwald and Matt Tybee, who are like, yeah, like they're trying to have common cause with the right. Now, these people need to be careful because I think like, Anybody who says defund the FBI, the immediate question afterwards needs to be, what are you replacing with? And I'm going to give you an exercise. This is just some press releases. I looked at the the FBI press release website just to be like, what does the FBI do? Right? If we defunded the FBI, what would the world look like? This is just Monday, and this is about half of the things you could see. I've only highlighted half of these that are on the FBI uh, website. So Kanawha 
County, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, man sentenced to prison for role in multi-state methamphetamine conspiracy. Las Cruces man charged for threatening to burn New Mexico State University. That seems important. Pain management physician convicted of unlawfully distributing opioids. Lansing pharmaceutical sales representative sentenced to one year in prison for defrauding Michigan State University of $1.2 million for compounded drug prescriptions. A Wasserman man pleads guilty to child pornography charge. Long Island chiropractor pleads guilty to $1 million healthcare fraud. Phoenix man sentenced to 25 years for child sexual abuse. Montgomery man convicted of committing multiple armed carjackings. Individuals charged with labor racketeering in the Port of San Juan. That's just page one. I have another page that's the same size on the other half of this. I could go on. I know nobody wants that. Just to say the FBI is important. Obviously, there are always reforms. There are surgical things by well-intentioned people we could do to make them more transparent, strengthen whistleblower protections, et cetera. And people on the left and the right like center, we all need to defend this institution under attack, both the physical attack that people are, are threatened, their bodily livelihoods, like there's attacks on actual FBI agents and facilities, but also the institution and its legitimacy needs to be defended. So uh, those are awesome points. For the people listening who do messaging or who just want to talk to their friends about it, what I would caution everyone is don't fall into the trap of thinking, okay, here's a silver bullet that you just get to say all these crimes, these are going to happen if you elect so-and-so because they want to defund the FBI. Here's why it doesn't, it's not that simple. It's because you have to create context and, and motivation for people to believe the claim. So when you say that a Republican wants to be soft on you know, uh, sex trafficking and, and uh, child pornography and all the stuff that you, and carjacking and everything you, you listed, you can say because they want to defund the FBI, but a lot of voters are going to go, eh, but I know that Republicans are tough on crime. So there's, I'm sure that like they want to replace it with something, or I'm sure that they're, they still want those prosecuted. That's not fair. So you have to actually explain, you have to say these people, because they are so caught up in politics that they're, they want to defund the, you have to tell the rest of the story. Otherwise you're not going to land any of these, any of these punches. Right. And there's this sense out there. And I do think that this includes some of the alternative media figures who are becoming bigger and bigger and bigger now. And I'm not just talking about the Alex Joneses, but like these huge people with huge podcasts and substacks that they're now dwarfing the size of traditional media now, right? Like people like Matt Taibbi's of the world. They'll say, all right, this institution, and they'll oversell their evidence, right? So I saw one of these segments the other day where they said, the FBI concocted the Michigan kidnapping plot, which is a total fabrication. And a, like to say it's an exaggeration would be giving them too much credit. But They'll say these things and then they'll mix it with some legitimate problems that the FBI has had over the years. And then they'll be like, so let's get rid of the institution. And then I'm like, well, what standard are we applying here? Right. Like this would happen. This would be true of every institution we have in American society. We all know the CIA going back to Iran Contra way before that was doing shady things. Mosaday in Iran, George Tenet, you can go on forever. The NSA wiretapping, you know, FEMA with Katrina, you know, the, the presidency with Nixon and obviously Trump. Congress, Denny Hassert molesting children, Tom DeLay, you know, embezzling, you know, like taking bribes or whatever he was he was found to have done. Like you go through every institution in America life and then you go to non-government institutions like the Catholic Church. Like the standard these people like are holding up, even the people who are not even Trumpy, but they're just like, yeah, let's like be populist and down with the institutions. I'm like, nothing will stand. Nothing will stand. And so the next time like something like what happened last week, which is where it seems like there could be a coordinated attack by the Iranian Revolutionary Guard where it seems like Rushdie and a couple other people might have been, I don't want to like oversell what we know, may have been targeting Amer like American citizens or other citizens on American soil. No FBI, no CIA, no NSA. What are you going to, like, well, how are we going to survive when we have hostile 
players and then hostile weather, you know, like what, right, we need right, institutions, right. you know, like a, a small point. We need institutions. We need them to be as good as they possibly can, but we need institutions. I'm not a populist for these reasons. Well, you know? also it's just so obvious, right? I mean, it really goes without saying that like, they want to defund things when they don't have power over those things. Right. And as soon as it like Trump desperately wanted to use the FBI as his own Gestapo. Unbelievable. Right? Yeah. Or, or his Gaspacho. Both. Or either, either yeah. one, you know, yeah. his crudite. I mean, yeah. that's what he wanted. He wanted <laughs> yeah. to, he wanted to, he thought this is, this is why crudite is so expensive. I want to tell you about another podcast. I think you'll enjoy when the people decide. Conversations about democracy in the U.S. typically focus on political parties and candidates, but there's a whole other world of everyday people who take issues they care about directly to their fellow voters to create political change and form new coalitions. When the People Decide brings you their inspiring stories. You'll hear from Katie Faye, who led a campaign to change the redistricting process in Michigan, Desmond Mead, who started a cross-partisan movement to restore voting rights in Florida, and Luke Mayville, who rallied voters in Idaho to expand Medicaid. When the People Decide is supported by the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State and produced by LWC Studios. Subscribe wherever you're listening right now. I think that there's been enough chaos, I think, over the past few years, whether it's COVID, inflation, et cetera. And I think we've all been in a situation at some point in our lives where we've been a little tight for cash. Maybe you can only afford to put a few gallons of gas in your tank, or you've got a save the date for some wedding, and you're wondering if you're going to be able to afford a gift. And that's where this company, Dave, comes in. They're a banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. And that's more money for all these things that you need or want to do. And what's amazing here is there's no interest and no credit check needed. Millions of people have already downloaded this Dave app to get the financial relief they need with extra cash. So if you're in a pinch, you need some extra help, download Dave and think of it as a helping hand from future you. All right, download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve, member FDIC. Future you will thank you. Let's just do a quick, uh, you know, this is like the legal Trump legal episode. Yeah, this do is the law and order sound. The, here uh, are two non-practicing lawyers bringing you the information well, about Trump's legal challenges. I'll just give you like a rundown of his week last week. So we had the raid. Then we had him pleading the fifth in front of Tish James. We had a CFO who seems to be nearing a plea deal with the Manhattan District Attorney. We have one of his lawyers subpoenaed in the DOJ January 6th inquiry. And then we have Giuliani, it being public, that he's a target of the Georgia investigation. There's probably more. Those are just things that happened last week in American society. I don't know what my question is, but that seems pretty significant. Let me just roll through these and do a quick review on each one. Okay. So pleading the fifth in the investigation in New York, which I believe is an investigation into his uh, like company, into his financial uh, arrangements and all of his dealings, really not, not entirely related to the presidency at all. Am I correct? Like it's, it's it's a little bit and a little bit. You've heard me on this one. This is the one I'm, I don't want to rehash this because our audience hates this probably, but I, I have the most problems with the way this one's being carried out. Not the underlying crimes that he may have committed, but just the politicization of this particular one. But I think it has a lot to do with the Trump org business, is my right. understanding. 
fringe yeah. benefits, things like that. Yeah. And so, you know, there's that clip that everybody, uh, I think has seen in the last week of going back to Trump being like, look, you only plead the fifth when you're guilty. So, so, okay. So he's right. pleading the fifth to, you know, f- what are basically potentially financial crimes. It's a civil investigation, but he's pleading the fifth because he doesn't want to go incriminate himself in a criminal way. And then you have, uh, the CFO. So now his money guy, okay. Is nearing a plea agreement, right? So that's not good when you're, when you're, money guy is going to plea. Take care of your money guy, by the way, people. Don't commit crimes, (laughs) but definitely take care of your money guy. Now now here next, uh, it's probably, look, I haven't practiced law in a few years and I never really practiced hardly any criminal law, but I don't think you even needed to go to law school to know that when your lawyer gets subpoenaed, that probably ain't good, right? You're probably uh, in a bit of trouble there, right? And then finally, Rudy Giuliani is a target of an investigation in Georgia. So here are my thoughts on this. One, I think we all can be pretty sure that Rudy Giuliani, the legal genius that he is, will wrangle his way out of this one. No, probably not. (laughs) And then the question is, is Rudy Giuliani the kind of guy who looks at a situation where his guy is not the president, doesn't have the ability to pardon him, and by the way, may not matter since he's in a, he's in a state court anyway, right? Because they can come after him for all all numer- all sorts of things. Is Rudy Giuliani the kind of guy who goes, no, 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 I'm going down with the ship. I ain't never talking about yeah. uh, what I was told by Trump. I really don't think that Rudy Giuliani is. There's two possibilities here, right? Which is that he's this like Teflon Don, which by the way was was what we used to call John Gotti, who went to prison and died in prison. So, like, everybody needs to chill out with this, like, Trump is invincible stuff, right? Like, let's pretend there's some world where he, he'll he make it through all this stuff. Possible, but we're all going to the same place. Well, maybe if you're religious, we're, he's not going to the same place. You are probably. But, um, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. There's ultimately going to be some resolution to the story of Trump. But the other one to me is more likely is, like, that in this lifetime, in this sort of earthly paradise that we live in, that there's going to be some kind of reckoning here. And I'm starting to be more optimistic of that just because of the enormity of what's in front of him. And my suspicion is that this is going to play out a little bit like Pablo Escobar, if you ever (laughs) uh, read about him. His lawyer was actually central to the entire thing. And there was actually like, there was these guys like the Los Pepes who were like trying to find all Escobar related people and they were actually like murdering them, right? Hmm. They were like all about finding the lawyer. And actually one of the key turning points for Escobar was when actually the lawyer was found. And this is also true of finance people, right? Like, so Felix Gallardo, who is like the padrone of the Mexican cartels, big thing that happened to him was when his uh, finance guy was taken by the American government. So now- you know, Trump is facing the possibility that both of these types of people are taken, and then a lot of his other people are starting to flip, which I think is one of the things that would we would find out if we looked at the affidavit, right? So the walls are closing in now. No, we can't declare victory prematurely, and victory is not victory, right? Like putting Trump in a jail cell is, is just one step in a long process to repair this democracy and creates all sorts of new challenges around his rabid followers who would be motivated by that. You know, it could be like, like I'm not comparing the substance of this, but it could be what the Dobbs decision is doing to our people in terms of turnout. All the stuff around holding Trump accountable could motivate turnout of the Republicans. Still the right thing to do, but it it obviously presents you challenges, but it's obviously an important step. Let's yeah. be real. Uh, Trump should be like, he should be prosecuted fully and assuming the evidence is there, which obviously you and I think it is, he should be convicted and he should be put in prison. 
And that might cause a civil war. Like yep. that might actually I think that's absolutely possible. Start yeah. a civil war. It it doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue the law, but like we should be real about what this is. We joke around about it and everything, but like that's a real thing. Yeah. I think we don't talk like this a lot on this show. So I think some people make fun of me about like my prepper mentality. And I think it's like it was funny for a second, but I actually am fairly I try not to think about it too much because there's not much I could do other than like if I was really committed, I'd start like a like some kind of militia in the mountains as the Catskills or something. But like I do think there's there's a much higher probability of this scenario than people are really wrapping their heads around. And it does concern me that the left I'm not saying we should be armed, but I'm just saying it concerns me that the right is way more armed than we are. Uh, and that if there was such a civil war, this is not great for us, you know, if it becomes a hot war. I know this is kind of a morbid topic, but I don't think people talk about this enough. Like, this is scary stuff, you so know? what concerns me is not so much the level of arm armament of the two sides, mostly because, frankly, in this country, if you want to get armed in a hurry, you can. Um, it, it sadly, like, you know, but what concerns me in the case of any sort of violent unrest of this nature, because, you know, initially you probably wouldn't be in full out, uh, civil war, but you would be in a situation where there would be skirmishes and, uh, political violence that would pop up in places. Yep. What like I, a lot of January 6th and a lot yes. of Kenosha, Wisconsin's, you know, like just yes. tons of like, yeah, that sort of thing. And then what I worry about is. Uh, the question of the allegiances of uh, law enforcement in those cases making yep. like that to me is where, where I worry about it is, is it, to the degree to which depending on where you are in the nation um, you know, federal law enforcement, state and local law enforcement, whether, you know, people keep their oath. Uh, so yep. that's, that's where I would worry. Um, but now with all that said, everybody has been listening to this for the last few minutes. Now take a deep breath. That's not what's happening. What's happening is actually the system, as we're seeing it play out in these investigations, this is actually an example of the system working the way that it's supposed to. Yeah. And now that we've gone down the, the very dark possibility here, let's look at a, a different view, that which is probably more likely, and that is that Trump is a man. He is not the whole movement, right? And right. so you can see in the way people are, are starting to move beyond Trump. It's not like they're done with Trump, right? It's not like, like Trump's becoming unpopular. But what happens often with movements like this is that the person who was there at the beginning becomes sort of tangential to the movement. And that's what mm -hmm. we're seeing happen here, right? Is Trump is becoming a person who like, they're like, MAGA is bigger than Trump now, right? And it's a problem for him. It's why he's starting to get very nervous about the primary because they don't feel that he is essential to this MAGA movement. And if that's the case, it also means that it is less likely that people would become violent over the treatment of Trump individually, right. uh, as opposed to, you know, them needing to see broader things that, that are represented by, you know, that they think represent sort of violence and authoritarianism toward the movement as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. This is some high wire act type stuff. I would say I said before this came out, if you remember, I said, everybody be patient with Garland. This is a guy who I trust. I continue to believe that I watched him deliver this press conference and he is the guy we want in that role right now. He was measured, but he wasn't cowardly. He defended the institution and he took responsibility. He said, this is my decision. 
And I think that was really important. He wasn't passing the buck in any way. And he laid out the standard and so smartly put the ball in Trump's court. Because then, I I mean, that was just such a stroke of genius to frame it that way. And either way, Garland wins that battle in the larger war when he's just like, all right, either you're going to seem like you got something to hide or we're going to release this document that's not very flattering to you. So like you got you got one of two choices. Right. And so we're going to continue to monitor this story. Obviously, I would say we can let's end with a little bit of rundown of some election stuff. We talked on the front end about a bunch of data, all that. Like, you know, the picture's largely unchanged, which is we've got a little bit of tailwinds. Is that what the winds are that we like? We like tailwinds. Uh, We got a little bit of those that's kind of unchanged. Obviously, we don't know how this Trump stuff is going to affect the enthusiasm gap. We've all been around enough elections to know that on election night, we always get surprised. Uh, But things are looking generally good. There's a great Shane Goldmacher and Katie Gluck article in the New York Times this week that goes through abortion Advertising Democrats are just hammering people like Blake Masters and, you know, uh, Mastriano, et cetera, on their abortion stances. This is the chickens coming home to roost for Republicans. They they really, I don't think, are going to be able to wiggle out of this. And so that article, I think, is really fascinating. And, and let me pause there and say, there's this theory that Democrats are running kind of like the opposition party, Right. I kind of buy into this and I like it because I think it's like saying, look, like it's not just about control of the presidency. We are the opposition in many ways. We don't have the power of the Supreme Court. We don't have power in a lot of state houses. So we're going to run against bad policy as being enacted right now. I'm all on board with it too, because we are sort of the opposition in, in these. We certainly are in the Supreme Court. And then if you look at, at Congress, like this is the best way to get across the idea that, hey, we don't really have unified control so long as the filibuster is in place, right? Like This is much better than letting the entire conversation be about two Democrats who haven't come along. Like this is how you shift it to, hey, they are stopping these things. They are making it so that this this doesn't happen. Yeah. So you got that story. And then obviously we've got Poor one out for Liz Cheney. She lost, and I think there are only two people left in who will be left in Congress at most who voted, uh, Republicans who voted to impeach Trump for January 6th. I thought she gave a really good speech afterwards where she said something, and I know you and I kind of are slightly different in the way we view Liz Cheney, but like she said something really important and I think true, which is she could have easily have won this thing with 70-something percent in the primary. She had towed the line. Absolutely no, there's correct. no doubt about it. I, yeah. I, I, I give her credit, uh, and I I appreciate Liz Cheney. I just am not in the camp that a lot of Democrats seem to be in, where we we get to a point where we see a Republican who does the minimum that we expect, and we kind of act like they're a superhero. Like, right. I appreciate. I know what she's doing is hard. I know that her family has been threatened. I know all those things, and I do appreciate it. I more lament that we're in a situation where that is so special. Less so than it's not so much that I that I I don't appreciate her or give her credit. It's just it just irritates me that that is so unique. Yeah, I think for me in normal world, I'm like, yeah, we got so much so many differences that I'm holding you at an arm's length. I think in in Ravi's Catskill militia world, she's invited to train with us. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, no, for sure. I'm gonna hand her a rifle, welcome her. Well, as John Heileman says, she's on team democracy. And at this point, there are certain issues, not all, but there are certain issues where it is not about Republican and Democrat right now. It's about are you team democracy or are you not? Right. And that's the basic, that's where, that's where we are. I think like 
that's my politics right now. Like people ask me, like I got all sorts of opinions. I'm narrowing it down at this point. I, I'll fight for all the other stuff, but when it comes down to it, like, am I willing to work with you? I'm willing to work with you if you're willing to defend democracy. Now, if it's a choice between you and somebody who's also better on policy, I'm going to go for the person better on policy. But if it's a choice between somebody who's good on democracy and somebody who's not, which is essentially a choice in Wyoming, to the extent any of us have any control over that, you know, she was the better choice. And, you know, that's where we are. We're the Cheney, Welcome to the resistance, the Cheneys. Uh, I, I had this weird feeling of seeing Dick Cheney in ads, and I was having warm feelings about Dick Cheney, the guy who like probably made my blood boil more than anybody when I was coming up, because the Iraq war was probably the most seminal moment in my political life as a, as a young person, and why I even like gravitated towards Obama. Now, of course, Dick Cheney is like part of the problem that we find ourselves in today. I, I, don't, I totally understand. I'm just saying what my feeling in my heart was when I saw him. It was weird. I know? couldn't get all the way to warm feeling, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but I was like, oh, it's a nice thing you did for your daughter. Yeah. I'm just, and by the way, people out there on Twitter, first of all, you know, I don't check Twitter a lot, so don't waste your, your time. I understand Cheney's a terrible guy and like he did some terrible things. So don't, you don't have to educate me on that history. Just save yourself. It's, your statement is not an unreasonable one about a warm feeling, Stuart Cheney. I'm just saying, couldn't couldn't make it all the way there. All right. As always, uh, you can tell us what you think about what we've said. You can tell us some things that you'd like us to talk about. 508-687-2589. 508-687-2589. You can email us, m54 at wondermedianetwork.com, m54 at wondermedianetwork.com. And here's something we haven't asked you for in a while, uh, which is, you know, leave us a comment. Like, let us know, you know, how you think the show has been lately. Rate the show. Uh, if you're not already subscribing, subscribe. But that's how people find the show. And, you know, uh, we haven't asked you to do that in a while, so we could probably use some fresh feedback. Uh, some things have changed about the show in the last few months. Let us know if you like the direction it's going or if you have suggestions. You can put that, you know, in the comments. I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. The show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch E.D. Allard and Adesua Agbenile. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman and special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard Professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.